which is we're all trying to create great content. We're all trying to make a little bit of money off of it. We're all, whoa, Dakota, did you just throw a cat? <laughs> <laughs> you thought you got away with that? <laughs> I, <laughs> this is all staying in the episode. This is all staying in the episode. I just, I just watched a cat get thrown like it was Baxter <laughs> off a bridge. I tossed him on the bed that's uh, six inches away from me. Okay, good. I'm not violent. I don't want to. I don't want to have to call Peta on at the 55. Okay. <laughs> I'm Marshall Ferguson, currently unemployed, and you're listening to At the 55. Hello, and welcome to At the 55, your home for OUA football. Today, Dakota and I are joined by a legend in the football game, not just for his playing career, but for everything he's done leaving the gridiron. Marshall Ferguson. Marshall, how you doing, man? I'm good. Thank you for uh, the kind introduction. I appreciate it. I wish I was legendary on the field. I think I played with a lot of legends, which made uh, my life a lot easier. But nice to be able to talk some uh, some football right now because it's it's uh, I think we're all looking forward to getting back to for sure. Yeah, definitely. Any any conversation we've had in the last little while, no matter what the topic is, just anything football related has been awesome. Um, you know, so we st- kind of started a little bit with the football career there. And obviously, uh, with some of the stuff with TSN um, relating to you, I definitely want to get into a bit of that. But um, let's start with the, the McMaster stuff, your playing career, because um, this year is celebrating the 10th anniversary of the Vanier 2011. Yeah. Um, and of course, um, you have another Yates Cup as well uh, that uh, I don't want to talk about that one as much because uh, I was perhaps on the losing <laughs> side of it. Um, but let's go there. You mentioned all the legends that you played with Kyle Quinlan, of course, in that 2011 year, getting to co- uh, work under Coach Potasic, being able to be on a team with Knox, uh, you know, Diagular on the defensive side of the ball short. What was it like being part of that I mean, I, I know McMaster's had many peaks in their history, but one of perhaps the greatest sort of eras of, of modern McMaster football being a part of that organization. Yeah, it's tough to measure the early 2000s group against our group just because it, it feels so different, right? You look at what those guys did at that time. They're playing on what we call kind of the back time, which is like the grass fields and they're playing, you know, Ron Joy Stadium isn't even built yet. So those guys are coming out of years where, they're on just atrocious teams. And Ben Chapelain will tell you that before ever it was Adam Archibald or John Behe or any of the guys that came afterwards, those teams were born out of the, the pain of the previous years. And McMaster had gone through some thin years before us, but I really, I have great respect for that early 2000s run with Lumsden and the rest of those guys because they were a group that had felt that pain and decided, no, we're going to flip the switch and we're going to be great. And they were. We were spoiled. I mean, we had incredible facilities. It helped, obviously, our recruiting, uh, Steph Patatsik being there. Having sustainability at coach, I think, was a big part of that as well because I think so often in the professional ranks, you guys see a coach be there for a year or two and, well, he's not winning quick enough. Okay, out the door you go. And, and obviously, pro is different than college, especially, I mean, NCAA is wild in terms of coaching turnover too. But in Canada, I love that you can have uh, you know, the, the Bishop Gators not have very much success as they switch over to the AUS, and yet Sheriff Nicholas is still out there. I, I love that uh, you can have a coach at U of T who, you know, when Greg Gary was there, obviously that was a, a situation that wasn't ideal, and yet he was given time to be able to figure that thing out. And Warren Craney at York, I mean, York hasn't accomplished a whole hell of a lot, but he's doing a good job with what he is given, and I applaud him for that. So I think sustainability was a big part of what we were able to create. Uh, 
because the the system of OUA football allows for that. It also allows for better storytelling, I think, because if you're constantly changing over coaches, it's always, well, who's the new guy? And let's tell the stories about what he's going to do and what he's here. Oh, look, he's gone. Hey, look, another new guy. And you just, it, it's a rollover effect where you don't really get to know people and understand them. So um, that group was, was very much benefited by the coaching staff that we had around the experience that they had. Uh, but in terms of the locker room culture, it's funny because looking back on it, we probably should have appreciated more what we had in-house. But I don't think we did. And a part of that is because we were all just young, stupid dudes who just thought that we were there playing football and never really thought anything of it. I mean, I, I had no idea how good our team was going to be even in 2011 because we're only ever practicing against ourselves. So throughout the summer, we are at throwing sessions and it's Mike Daly at free safety. And as you say, Nick Shortles, there playing Sam linebacker and Daguilar is flying off the edge. And I've got Mike DeCroce alongside Brad Fortrezado. Uh, you know, Kevin DeHollander was there in my first year who was sensational. And then Rob Babrick, who, who sets a Vandy Cup record in 2011 for catches with like 13 or 14. He's playing in the slot next to DeCroce. We got Chris Pizzetta in the backfield. I mean, it's Matt Sewell's our left tackle. It was just Spoiled riches. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was, it was insane. And, and looking back on it, I just, I giggle because it's incredible how deep our roster was and guys that you don't really know. And maybe it's just because we won that everything seems sweeter than it was in hindsight, because I think that's real too. You know, if you're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this year, the whole year you're going through and saying, well, I don't even know how good they are. And then they win the Super Bowl. And you're like, oh my God, that was the greatest defense ever. Devin White and this guy and that guy in the offensive line, they're just beating people up and all oh, my Leonard Fournette was a beast. And, and it's like, well, I think the glow of winning certainly helps the memory of how amazing all of that was. But um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a fairly low key culture. I think inside the locker room, we just really enjoyed being around each other. And the heart of all of that obviously was Quinlan, right? I'm the backup quarterback, but the whole time I was at McMaster, Kyle had this incredible ability to have the entire locker room come together. And it could be something as small as making a dumb joke uh, during walkthrough on a Friday that the entire team is just, you know, love it. Yeah, yeah, you're the best guy. You're the best. And everybody's just kind of like in love with him and cheering him on. And Or it could be, you know, him ripping somebody. I remember, I'll never forget one day in the stretch lines. He just came up to me and we're doing, you know, knee hugs and then forward lunge and rotation and just trying to get everything loose before practice. He just goes, you got to straighten out that leg. It was the first time he <laughs> ever critiqued me on anything. And I remember for half a second, my ego going, what the hell are you talking about? Straight your leg. And then I'm like, Kyle Quinlan, he knows what he's talking about. Like, yeah, you're right. Sorry, man. Uh, you know, I mean, it's the little stuff like that where his leadership, I think, harmonized the entire locker room. And, and it was really built around that relationship of Quinlan to the roster and everybody just kind of followed his lead. What was it like then for you in that 2011 season? You mentioned you were Kyle's backup. And when Kyle had to miss a few games, middle of the season, and yep. all of a sudden we have uh, young Marshall Ferguson leading them on a was it three game win streak right yeah the, we uh we played it, at windsor which was the toughie uh at windsor was the one that was essentially three or four days notice and again one of those moments that sticks out in my mind that i'll never forget from my playing days was you know maybe more meaningful than any win or touchdown was when jeff giles the athletic director came down into the locker room and we knew something was very wrong at that point because he never came down to the locker room so when he came down and said, Kyle has been suspended for three games. Uh, and 
immediately the entire locker room did one of these and kind of turned slowly and saw where I was to see what my reaction was because everybody in the room knew that all of a sudden <laughs> I was I was going to be the starting quarterback. And immediately in that moment, as soon as I heard the word suspended, is you know my face, my mind is racing for a second. But then I'm also young enough that I you know you don't know what you don't know. I'm like, okay, fine, I'll start. So, like it, it didn't really seem that big to me. I think if I were more aware of what Kyle meant to the program and how great he was, because to me, he was just Kyle Quinlan guy that I was his backup, but I was also kind of his equal where we were practicing and competing with each other every day. And, um, and to see the locker room kind of turn to me immediately, you know, your head spins for five seconds and then you go, okay, they need me to be strong. They need me to actually be a leader here because they can't look over at me and see me going, Oh my God, I, <laughs> I have no idea what to do. I, I don't know how I'm going to accomplish this. So, Maybe a bit of it was an acting job. Maybe a bit of it was uh, trying to fake it until you make it, which I think played into that as well. But, yeah, those three games at Windsor on the road, uh, I mean, it's, again, funny to look back on these things because I don't think about this stuff very often anymore because I'm constantly doing other stuff. But to look back at that Windsor game, I mean, they gave me just a bulletproof game plan. Like, we were throwing the most high-percentage, high-efficiency throws they weren't asking me to do a whole hell of a lot and so you know I completed 14 or 15 passes in a row in the first half in my first ever OUA start and I feel great about that in hindsight because I was doing what I was asked to do but then you look back at it I'm like well if I was analyzing me <laughs> in that game and I was watching that film I'd probably say they gave that kid layups like layup after it was we were scheming open Matt Parasini to the flats and then Mike DeCroce on a corner road and then you know, I basically had to go one to two to three or I was playing screens and I was dumping off and I was all this stuff. So they uh, they helped me out a lot on that one. The second one was uh, at Guelph and that was significantly more difficult and we didn't deserve to win that game. I don't That was think. homecoming was, if I remember. Too. Yeah, and we didn't deserve to win it. And I remember I threw, I think, two picks in that one. And this is a great example of how media decides the narrative instead of the actual on-field performance. At the end of the game because it was broadcast on the score, which again, like nationally televised and I get to go in and play in a big game and that's all fantastic. But then I throw like a dumb interception back up against our own goal line on a wide side out route that gets picked and gets tackled to the five yard line. Uh, you know, our defense, I think had two pick sixes or something like that. So at the end of the game, the media, <laughs> the score guy pulls me over at the time it was Glenn Sheeler, who was doing the reporting, he pulls me aside. Hey, you're our player of the game. I'm like, what? <laughs> and it, it, it's like, yeah, you're the player of the game. I, I actually asked him, I go, why? And he, he goes, well, just, just come with me. I'm like, okay. So I walk over and they throw, you know, the Porter Airlines towel over my shoulder and I'm standing there and I do the interview and I'm just like, yeah, I mean, we're a good team. I'm like, I didn't really have much else to say. I'm like, I didn't really do anything to earn this or the victory. So I have no idea why you guys are talking to me. And as I finished the interview, I'm like, thanks, man. Shake his hand. And then I turn to them. And this is, this is the most university student thing ever that I always laugh about. As I'm walking away from the interview, I realize I have the Porter Airlines towel on my shoulder. And I turn back to one of their cameramen or production assistants. I go, hey, can I keep this towel? <laughs> I, like, I wanted to have a nice towel because I don't think at that point I had a nice towel for my. I was using beach towels from the dollar store or something <laughs> like that. So... I was like, God, this towel? He's like, yeah, you get the towel. Also, here's a $700 Belova watch and two tickets anywhere Porter Airlines flies. I'm like, 
I just wanted the towel, man. Like I don't need, the, <laughs> I don't need the tickets and the watch. Uh, so it was, it was mind blowing to me. Um, and I, I immediately said to my parents, I'm like, I didn't give this watch away. Like I don't deserve this. And my mom got so angry at me. She's like, you have to keep that. You know, this is, you're going to remember this forever. And I still have the watch. I don't know. It's somewhere in a drawer down. I think I've worn it twice. Uh, Cause I'm not a big watch guy. As you can tell, I like to work out. I wear rubber bands and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, but yeah, that, that was the Guelph game. And then the, the downslope of all of that, which really just felt like a celebration was our own homecoming at McMaster against Waterloo. Uh, and Waterloo was struggling pretty bad at that point. So it was uh, it was a bit of a cakewalk, but it was amazing to play at home in front of pretty full stands. It was a beautiful sunny day. Uh, <laughs> it was just, it was a crazy month. It really was. And then uh, Kyle came back, played against the University of Toronto on a Thursday night before Thanksgiving. And I immediately realized why I was the backup because <laughs> He, he went insane. <laughs> and the rest of the year, I had the best seat in the house for one of the great runs, I think, in university football history in Canada. Um, well, not, not to jump away from the history, but just because you were talking about um, the national coverage of, I guess at that time, CIS games, and now it's youth sport. Um, can you maybe talk about, and, and I'm not part of it, I don't know the back. Um, I know it's a lot of bureaucracy when it comes to, you know, who gets to control the games. Can you talk about the importance of maybe one day bringing back national coverage or even just regional coverage that's a, a little higher production value um, and like how that kind of can grow the game of Canadian football. Yeah, I think it's it's a must, first and foremost. I, I don't think that there's any way to grow this without that being the end goal. I think that it might not be the end of the evolution, but it certainly has to be part of the evolution, if you guys know what I mean by that. I mean, it's you can't have a property that is valuable, meaningful, resonates with people, unless it's on television. It's kind of like the old, you know, if a tree falls in the forest, nobody's there to hear it, did it ever really fall? It's, if you play a football game and it's not nationally televised, does it ever really resonate with people? And I, I don't think the television is the, is the great equalizer. I don't think you put a game on TV and, hey, it's fixed, because I think we've seen before, you know, when Sportsnet was covering the national semifinals, where there were sometimes, not just the AUS-involved games, but there were sometimes where we'd have games that, they just didn't resonate with people. And the thing that I always get frustrated by and part of my new project that I know we're going to talk about in a minute here is that I want people to not have to wait until the national semifinal to go, wow, that's a great story. You know, even myself, I feel guilty because I'm covering the Hamilton Tiger Cats for TSN uh, for the last couple of years. And the OUA hires me on alongside CHCH to do the Yates Cup broadcast. Well, I would love to watch every game of OUA football and I would love to know every story and to talk to the coaches every week. And I genuinely would love to do that. I think there's a great opportunity for that. And I'm hoping that we get to that point, but I would parachute in and I would have a day and a half, maybe two days in between all of my other work, morning radio, writing for CFL.ca, uh, covering the CFL playoffs where I, I would have to learn essentially an entire roster, all of the stories, all the stats, all the background, which, Hey, that's broadcasting, right? That's part of the gig. But it always frustrated me because I'd be learning these stories and I would hear stories. I go, man, I, how did I not know this? Like this Jonathan Femi Cole, this is a really cool story. This running back at a Western or maybe I would look and see, uh, you know, Josh, I forget his last name, but the corner that was the rookie freshman that played for McMaster. They challenged him a bunch in that year. Cumber. 2019. Uh, yeah. Josh Cumber. So I, I see him playing the way he is and I see how cocky he is in the post game when he's doing all these interviews. And I'm like, this guy's amazing. Like we should be celebrating him for eight weeks. People should be talking about him going into the next season. And instead it's like, we all just show up halfway through November and we go, Hey, look, that's a fun team. 
Uh, and that, that's always frustrating to me because I understand that when it's, when it's for keeps, when it's in the playoffs, there's always going to be more eyeballs on it. And that's when the TV shows up and that's when the stories get told. But if we can tell those stories before we get to that point, I mean, it's just insane to me to think about Alabama and Clemson showing up in the national semifinal or Ohio State going up against Notre Dame, something like that in the national semifinal. And we're like, let us introduce you to this Justin Fields character. It's like, you know, why are we, why are we waiting to tell those stories? So uh, TV is going to help with that. I think it's a requirement to get it back on television. I, it'll mean a hell of a lot to a whole lot of people once it does happen. And I'm hoping I get to be a part of it because I think that there's a, you know, the last thing I'll say about this in terms of the television side and the importance of it is that I don't think people in Canada realize how much Canadian football exposure is in its infancy. And what I mean by that is that we always look at things as a finished product because I believe that just generally as human beings, we think that the era that we currently live in were the smartest, were the most evolved. Why? Because it's the most recent on the count. Like you can look at anything from 1996 and see, ooh, grainy images on TV and all. And then you can look at 2021 in 4K and you're thinking to yourself, like, we've evolved. I mean, we've gone places. Guys, I was watching a Grey Cup the other day, just going back. I randomly, sometimes I throw Grey Cups on when I'm working at my garage because I threw a TV out there. And it's, it's just funny to see the production value and how they attacked things from the CFL in like the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s. So uh, I put one on. They had throw charts for uh, both quarterbacks that were competing in the Grey Cup for every throw they had made that year. That's something that I do now. And I started doing that because I said to myself, nobody's ever done this before. I'm going to be the first to do it. I'm going to be the one that's going to break that barrier. We're going to have information to use. And it was on CBC that they had these throw charts. And it was Mark Lee broadcasting the game alongside Chris Walby. I think it was. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what the hell did we do? Why did we stop doing that? Why did we go backwards? So the evolution, I think we, we can't mistake the fact that we live in the present as well we're the most evolved we can constantly be learning from things in the past and i think in order for canadian football to be able to get that exposure at all levels we need to look i think a little bit to the past and see the ways that we did things when it was successful on the score when it was getting a foothold uh on different networks being shared around when tsn was more interested in carrying the games when u sports was more open to having the games put on television at cost to themselves and Again, the, the bureaucracy and the monetary constraints on some of this stuff, way over my head. But I do believe that there has to be a meeting of the minds where people come together and actually say to themselves, okay, you know what, this is going to cost us this amount of money. It's worth it. Because we might not get the amount back on advertising all the rest, but we do need to do anything, something to get these games on television to legitimize them, to expand the product, and to grow it moving forward. Because we are in our infancy. We are not at a point where we have outgrown and, and we're 50, 100 years into this thing. Games on television for Ontario University Athletics, what are we at, 20, 25 years max in terms of having the capabilities to do that? That's not a finished product, so let's not act like it. Let's actually grow towards making it better because we have not reached our full potential. Well, you're certainly preaching to the choir uh, with Dakota and I on that front, and I think one of the coolest stories that Dakota and I uh, – got to hear was when we were in Windsor about a year ago and one of the people we were talking to Chris Ozikusi, was telling 
a story of how when he was a kid in high school and he's watching Saturdays on the score OEA football. And despite the fact that his older brother was already at Western, he, he I forget how he phrased it, but he's just like Queens took the field and he's like, Oh, what's this team with this cool yellow, blue, you know, red Jersey. And like, he would just fell in love with it. And of course, you know, he ended up having a, such a storied career there. So no doubt it's, it's impactful in just a manifold ways. Um, but let's kind of get into a little bit of, sort of the we touched on a little bit in that but you know your time leaving mac or i guess starting at mac when you were doing sports production with uh the campus station and then moving in with chch and getting a foothold tsn cf perspective um just the 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 work that you're doing now and sort of how you got there um what's that journey been like and what's sort of your main what's the main you're mentioning the main project you're working on now yeah, so the at its core, the thing that uh, has always driven me has been raising the level of, I would say, analysis and entertainment uh, when it comes to Canadian football. I think that those two things, everything I do, I kind of take it as a, a Venn diagram. And it's not necessarily, you know, 70% analysis, 30% entertainment, but it's there just needs to be a healthy mix of those two things that I think is more art than it is science, because based on the conversation, who you're talking to, what you're doing, it's going to change. So for me, you know, starting out at McMaster University Radio was a blessing. I, I'm not sure if people have heard the story before, but uh, Lindsay Hamilton, who's now on SportsCenter, does a fantastic job with TSN. She was working as the sports director at CFMU 93.3. And when I ended up kind of getting contacted by her, she said, hey, can you come do an interview with me? This is in 2013. So I was finally a starter. Kyle had had left his playing days. He was actually my uh, – actually, I think at that point he was at Holland College before he came back to coach us. Uh, with our running backs and quarterbacks in 13 or 14. But uh, he, uh, she reached out to me and said, can you do an interview? And I said, well, can I be your co-host? And she was like, mm, <laughs> I don't know about that, because I think she thought that I was just some dumb jock who wanted to hear my own voice. So I went in, I did a test show with her in November of 2013, and we hit it off right away. She was amazing. Chemistry was great on air. So we decided to, to do a show together. We did that. Then she left. I took over the morning show. I expanded it. I became the sports director at the station, and essentially, I just used it as a playground, right? Because I wasn't taking journalism. I wasn't taking broadcast anything. I wasn't taking media relations. I was, I was a political science student who enjoyed messing around on the radio and having fun, having a couple of laughs. And uh, it felt dangerous. It felt fast. You know, I liked the idea of it kind of being like the pocket where you got to maneuver and shift around. And if I need to, I step over here. And then maybe I throw a deep bomb or maybe I just play it safe and chuck it under here on a little flat route. I mean, it was, there was a lot of commonalities to me in media. So when I started to get involved in the student radio station, uh, I got a call from TSN and they said, Hey, would you like to come, uh, you know, have a conversation? So I went up to a building in Hamilton on Upper Wentworth Street that would eventually become my office for the next six years. And I talked with Bob Harris, who was the regional manager there. And we just basically talked about football for a couple of hours. And uh, I had no idea what was going to become of it. I didn't know whether or not uh, it was going to lead to anything. And then he, kind of called me back a couple months later and said, hey, we're starting up a TSN radio station and we want you to be the voice of McMaster football. Great. Awesome. That's, you know, at that point, I'm a server and bartender in Boston Pizza on Main Street West in Hamilton. So uh, I get that opportunity, ran with it, did the Ticats pre and post game show, which was one of the greatest challenges I've ever had because they sold the sponsorship for me to be at a bar called Honest Lawyer in Jackson Square in downtown Hamilton by myself with no guests and no phone lines. Uh, and it was essentially, I would have a board op that was there who would press on and then they'd go 90 minutes, go. 
Uh, and, <laughs> and for one, one night a week, Friday night or Saturday night, I would be sitting in a bar in Hamilton where nobody knew that I was even there. We had no branding and I would be talking, uh, football to myself for 90 minutes, which it did some deeply unhealthy things to me. I had dreams where I was afraid of, of dead air because I would be, you know, I would like rattle out of my sleep and, and I would end up, uh, you know, feeling like I, I needed to keep talking. So I'd be like, I'd wake up and be like, and it was Brandon Banks with an eight, six catches and 43 yards. Like I was just, I always felt like I had to be talking because you brain, you train your brain that way, right? It was like this weird brain chemistry uh, thing that was going on. The other one was when I, I did a tie catch game on a Friday night with a 90 minute post game when they played, I think somewhere up the West Edmonton or something. And so the game finishes at about 9 p.m. Eastern. I'm on till 1030. By the time I get home, wind down let my brain relax from doing the post game show for 90 minutes i pass out well mac had a game at windsor the next day i wake up at 10 a.m and they're playing in windsor at one and i'm the play-by-play guy <laughs> well i got there uh i'm not sure how but i showed up about three minutes before kickoff so that's probably a good thing i didn't end up getting uh running into a police officer on that saturday <laughs> morning but um but i got there and called that game but that that was kind of the beginning of that uh, that journey for me was doing Mac games, doing Tiger Cats. In 2016, they gave me the Tiger Cats play-by-play job, which has been one of the great blessings of my professional career because being around professional football every single day, calling the games, the excitement of it, uh, to me, there's nothing better than the CFL inside the final three minutes of a one-score game. So to be able to bring that to people in their cars, on their phones, wherever they were listening uh, was incredible. And then, uh, yeah, it led to... Us, unfortunately, closing up shop because of cutbacks and everything else that happened uh, back on February 9th. So it's almost been a month now, actually, since uh, we shut down the station, which feels crazy. But and uh, yeah, we've we've now kind of evolved and I had Canadian football perspectives set up and the infrastructure was there. So I thought, well, I want to keep talking football. So why not do it there? Well, and, you know, it's 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 incredible the uh, like the breadth of content you cover with your staff with CF uh, CF perspective. Um and sort of everything like that. And, you know, I, I, I'm curious, um, you know, we don't have to go into too much detail, but, you know, from the outside, looking at the story of what happened with Bell and TSN and it was Hamilton and, and Vancouver, and I think another market I'm sure you you, you know, but um, just it, there was, you know, you'd hear stories of, uh, you know, the the way they went about it doesn't seem the best way. I was just wondering if, if you had any insight into the way it kind of it was handled whether just from an insider's perspective whether it was different because you know I, I don't i try not to rush to a judgment on the outside not knowing how things went down what was sort of your take on on the way they d- dealt with it yeah it was it was tough for sure you know i in all honesty i think if any station across the tsn radio network deserved to probably have what happened it was ours because we only had three hours of live local programming and uh, we were just a morning show the rest of the day we were running content from fox or tsn 1050 otherwise so the reality of it is Winnipeg and Vancouver, I think, deserved a lot better because they were successful and they, they had full rosters and they were doing great shows and servicing those communities in a way that I think was underappreciated, certainly. But uh, for us, I mean, it was, you know, it was it was difficult. But at the same time, I was kind of laughing on my way out the door because I was just thankful and I was just kind of giggling about how wild the journey has been. I, I called my boss right away, who also uh, was let go in Mike Neighbors, and and he always told me every time the ratings book would come out throughout six years, he'd say it's a seven year plan. It's a seven year plan. You know, you got to keep working. It's radio shows that you don't really stick for the first seven years. That always stuck with me because I thought, you know, when I I met my fiance at the time, my girlfriend, and I started telling her about what I do. And I said, listen, one day 
I'm just going to walk around a corner and somebody's going to be waiting for me there and they're going to say, grab your stuff and go home. And I said, but, <laughs> but we have a seven year window to work within at seven years, all of a sudden it becomes risky, but we're safe up until seven years. And we were kind of operating in that framework. Well, sure enough, February 9th, I come around the corner, there's somebody waiting for me and they say, grab your stuff and go home. I call my boss and I say, you lied to me, man. We only got to six years. We didn't get the seventh thing. Like I, I, you, you told me we were working in a seven-year construct here, but uh, it was, you know, I was proud of what we built there for sure. I think that given the circumstances and the lack of marketing that we had, and, you know, we never had a bus stop sign. We never had a billboard. We were basically guerrilla marketing ourselves, uh, you know, specifically to a Canadian football audience and then dabbling into everything else that was happening. But I took pride in the fact that we were covering – more than just Leafs, Jays, Raptors, uh, because TSN 1050 in Toronto, you look at their lineup. I mean, they are, they're battling with Sportsnet to try and harness this huge amount of people living in a very tightly packed space. And in order to do that, they have to just play the hits. They got a deep dive on, you know, oh my God, Norm Powell was two of eight last night. Let's spend 20 minutes on it. That wasn't really how my brain works. So I was thankful that I worked at a station that was kind of, uh, anarchist a little bit from the outside where I was allowed to see a story in the Globe and Mail about, uh, you know, the running coach from Guelph and I could contact the writer and say, hey, come talk. I could go ahead and create a relationship with the Marshall University Thundering Herd because we didn't have any Tiger Cats football to be able to celebrate in Hamilton. So we came up with the idea of, well, let's find somewhere where they're willing to adopt the city of Hamilton and all of our football fans that have no football to watch for the entire year. Good luck doing that on TSN 1050 in Toronto, where you're reaching out to Huntington, West Virginia, and saying, hey, can we get your coach and your players on? And they're like, of course, this is amazing. Yeah, we'd love to welcome the Canadian fan base. But we did. I mean, we had a stories on local cable television on WBZ Channel 13 in Huntington about Marsh and Mellow, about TSN 1150, and the ever-expanding Thundering Herd fan base. I mean, we just did a lot of dumb shit, but we loved it. And we love being able to approach radio a little bit differently. So um, to see the doors close on that, I think was tough, but it also gives us an opportunity now to kind of reflect on what we, what we did correctly, what we think we can tweak, what we can make better. Um, and hopefully somebody wants us to, to keep going, keep having fun with listeners because it's, it's what we enjoy. You know, I, I sway uh, wildly in the last three weeks to a month between laughing at the situation not really being worried and then also having a five-month-old son and a fiance and a house and a car and a and you start to realize like man you know something's gonna come up something's gonna happen here because you can't be sitting in your basement talking about football if it's not gonna bring in some money so that's why um you know i i hope that we can make canadian football perspective profitable because the reality is i would like to be able to make something to to sustain doing it and i don't think that you can do that stuff for free forever which i think is is what a lot of podcasts like yourselves run into as well is if you you don't end up getting that support it's at times it can be difficult to validate giving the amount of time that you are unpaid to something even if you do love it which we all do uh, but it is i think it, it makes it difficult at times so uh but my my all-encompassing view on on the time at 11:50 was a lot of fun crazy uh you know we were a startup we acted like a startup and we did things differently and, and that's how i'll remember it well i mean it, it's extremely unfortunate um that obviously it's been taken off the air not only for you and your fans but also for guys like us that now have you in the podcast game a little bit more <laughs> a little bit more competition in the in the game that uh like you said doesn't have a lot of money in it right now but um just for the people that for somehow would not really kind of know what cfp is could you just give 
give us a quick breakdown because I know you guys started popping off with a lot more shows, a lot more weekly shows. I think it's up to, is it four or five now? Yeah, so we, which again, the thing that I find interesting about uh, podcasting, as you say, Dakota, is that there's there's room for everybody. It's just a matter of what you want, right? So um, that was kind of my vision when I, I relaunched the Canadian Football Perspective podcast because Connor O'Neill and Wade Zanketa have been doing a great job for me for a while now of being able to to kind of use it as their platform. And honestly, when I was working at TSN, I never thought that TSN would uh, you know, close the doors and we'd be off on the curb, you know, looking for work and all the rest. And so I, I envisioned Canadian football perspective when I was working for TSN as being a developmental tool, the same way that CFMU at McMaster university was a developmental tool for me. I wanted to take people that were coming out from university and give them this platform, which they could then turn into their own content. And maybe that's what it still becomes is that we maintain this five days a week lineup and I'm running the operation at some point and I'm hosting less, but I'm passing it off to people like yourselves who you want to be able to use this network where it's all in the same podcast feed and the infrastructure is built up and you're reaching a mass amount of people with different shows covering different topics. I, I think that that's something that I was really interested in because I was so appreciative of what student radio gave me in terms of finding my voice and getting those reps. I just don't think there's enough places for people to do that. Um, there's more opportunities I think to do that now than there's ever been because podcasting is so available. I mean, you get a microphone, a camera, a computer, whatever, and you could fire off a podcast. Right. So, but I do think that having those high quality reps is, is meaningful and being able to create something that is, that's more than just one or two people doing their own little offshoot. I think there's, there's so many of these, this is kind of the revolution of the, not to get too like inside, uh, you know, podcasting, but, there's so many people who are fighting for their corner in the landscape of podcasting without realizing that we're all fighting the same battle, which is we're all trying to create great content. We're all trying to make a little bit of money off of it. We're all, whoa, Dakota, did you just throw a cat? (laughs) (laughs) You thought you got away with that? (laughs) This is all staying in the episode. This is all staying in the episode. I just, I just watched a cat get thrown like it was Baxter <laughs> off a bridge. I tossed him on the bed that's uh, six inches away from me. Okay, good. I'm not violent. I don't want to have to call PETA on at the 55, okay? So, no, no, he, he, uh, he's safe. He's just loud. Okay, very good. Uh, but yeah, I, I think we're all fighting in the same direction. Like We're all pulling in the same direction, but we're all acting like we're fighting for ourselves. So I wanted to create a network. So at Canadian Football Perspective, we launched with... Uh, myself on Monday solo interviewing interesting people from around CFL, U Sports, otherwise. Uh, this week I got Randy Ambrosi. I think next week we're going to have Tim McAuliffe I'm hoping. I'm talking to Timmy right now, trying to get him on. But uh, Wednesday is myself and Derek Taylor. We do the breakdown, which is a deep dive into all things CFL. It's kind of more nerdy analytics, hardcore football analysis. And on Fridays, it's myself and Kaya Mello just doing our radio show. I mean, it's the same thing as we always did when we were on radio. So because uh, we wanted to keep that going and we had a strong listenership that was very passionate might not have been huge numbers but they're passionate they followed and we wanted to give them lots of uh, lots more content so tuesdays and thursdays with wade and connor continues they're talking youth sports dabbling into cfl cfl draft cfl combine they do a great job with all that stuff and then you know i kind of want to make it like a tsn light uh, at canadian football perspective where i can get enough partnership to be able to actually give some of our writers and our hosts a little bit of money to say thank you because it doesn't have to be you know, life-changing money, but I think it's nice to be able to say, hey, here's actual monetary value for the work that you are doing to bring people coverage of Canadian football that they obviously want because the numbers. And 
I want to have written work. I want to, you know, I got this big, if people are watching any of this uh, from you guys, it's a big green screen setup. I'm working on getting video off the ground where I can do X's and O's analysis on the green screen and we can be able to break down all sorts of stuff like I'm in a TSN studio and uh, telling the stories of people in university football, breaking down the numbers of the CFL to tell you who's really good and who's not and why they're good and having those conversations. I, just, I think it's a smarter level of an analysis that we're aiming for and trying to combine that with my broadcasting background. I, I think there's something there. I'm not sure where it's going to go yet, but it's been fun to get off the ground. And I hope that over time, people will come to trust us as a source for a lot of that information that they want, because they certainly do want it. Because like I say, the numbers do support that. No doubt. And, you know, we're hopeful for that, too, because um, obviously your success is in some way art. Like it reflects us as well, the industry course, that we're yeah. trying to speak to, right? Um, also, if you can't get Tim McAuliffe, I can throw on some tortoiseshell uh, glasses and I can do my best impersonation of him if you want. Now that I, got I wasn't up. asking for Dana Carvey. That's not what I was going for. You know, one of the last things I want to ask you about kind of going back to uh, McMaster football and, you know, you mentioning your time getting to do broadcast with them. Is there any word yet on whether, say, like CHML or if anyone else in the Hamilton area is is looking to pick up the rights for the games? I mean, obviously, it's still a bit up in the air, knocking on wood that we're getting the 2021 OUA season. But in the event that we are, is there any word in terms of who's going to take those rights or maybe CF perspective? Uh, yeah, well, I haven't heard anything thus far in terms of the rights, whether it goes, I mean, the, the Ticats are going to go digital, I think. Uh, it makes the most sense for them because without the budgets coming out of a pandemic for a radio station to just say, hey, here's X amount of dollars, I think that they, they probably are just going to host it in-house, which I applaud them for. I think that they've been really, really forward thinking with Tiger Cats, whether it's the Ticats All Access Club that they have going with members or if it's the Ticats app that they've been working on. I think all of that... Um, has helped them kind of grab a different fan base. If you go to, you know, this is not slander against any fan base in the CFL, but if you go to uh, maybe outside of Ottawa, I would say, you know, like an Edmonton game or a Calgary game, it, it, there's a lot of older people. That's There's nothing to be sad about or angry about with older people going to games. They have money. They are adults. They have uh, things that they can bring, but they can bring their kids. And I want to see more and more of that in the near future. Hamilton, there's a lot of 20-somethings. It's not parents bringing their 12-year-old. It's 20-somethings going out to grab a beer and hang out at the Ticats game. So for me, that's always been really important because that demographic shift of the CFL from, oh, I remember Warren Moon and, oh, the Flutie days, that can only last you so long. At some point, the new fan base, the developing fan base of younger people like ourselves has to make its way. It's, I always think of it like a population pyramid. Like We all know what it looks like when the population of a country is too old at the top. Well, guess what? When they're no longer around, all of a sudden, if you don't have that influx of youth, what happens? You, you don't have fans. And, and that's why I think we need to make sure that we are uh, trying to use platforms like this to gather those new fans and tell them, hey, this thing is great. Like, you, you should be a part of this. It's an awesome time. And I think that's what the Ticats are trying to do. So I think they're going to go digital with it. I think they're going to try and get that younger fan base by being more uh, relatable to them, more accessible to them. Uh, and then we'll see where it goes from there. They, it's, it is interesting because I talked to a couple of people when I launched Canadian Football Perspective and, you know, I've, <laughs> I've got this green screen set up and I'm looking forward to doing some OUA X's nose breakdowns and stuff in season of things that I notice and interviewing coaches from around the OUA about what they see. And, uh, you know, I've, I've ordered broadcast standard equipment, the stuff that I use in the Ticats radio booth. So we're going to sound professional. I got, you know, 4K webcams coming, all this. So we've got all this stuff. 
And I had somebody say to me, have you ever thought about bidding for the rights to broadcast OUA games and just rotating which game you're covering? I was like, man, a, a broadcast, like a Twitch stream of a game of the week, if we could figure that out, I would be extremely interested in doing that and doing play-by-play for you know an OUA game of the week online that's accessible to everybody to spread that product. Again, there's a million different hoops you have to jump through before you can do any of that. I'm sure the rights are still owned by somebody, whether or not they want to use them, I'm not sure. But uh, I, I do look at it as an opportunity because this is a blank canvas, right? And that's the joy of a startup is you get an opportunity to build something in your vision. And if there's enough people that have a similar vision, then you can build something I think that's really special. So I want to do that. And I'm sure, as you know, having worked for a few different companies now when you're kind of on your own you're not hamstrung by any restrictions of any other upper management or anything you can kind of just do what you want to i'm sure that feels perhaps maybe a little intimidating but also just so liberating at the same time right yeah it's it's amazing it's you know it's the little things like uh on our canadian football perspective website i've always had a tab for dog related content i never knew really what i wanted to do with it i have a relationship with the sbca of hamilton burlington but you know, this thing starts up and I send them an email. I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm just going to do a dog of the week. Like whatever you have up for adoption, I'm just going to give them some love. I'm going to create a page. And if people want to send me pictures of their dogs wearing CFL or U Sports gear, I'm like, I'm just going to post it on the website. And it's stupid, right? It doesn't actually mean anything. I just, I love dogs. So I have a Husky, I have a Labradoodle, and I wanted to be able to help other dogs that are in shelters get the hell out of shelters and go somewhere and have a happy life. And that's that means something to me, which is why I ended up kind of putting that on the website. But it, I didn't have to ask anybody for that. Like I, I was the one who was in charge. And again, there are benefits to having somebody else in charge of you. Benefits, uh, a salary, like those things actually mean something. But some of that creative freedom that you have, if you can end up monetizing it and actually connecting with people that, hey, I also like dogs. I also like football. Wow, this website's cool. They come and spend some time there. Well, every time they go to the website, every time they download a podcast, we have an opportunity to get another partner, make a little bit of money off of it, and then grow what we are doing so that we can bid for the rights to try and be the you know the host of an OUA game of the week. And so all of these things are interconnected. But that freedom, yeah, liberating, I think, is a great word that you use because it's uh, it's certainly a different feeling than working within the confines of, of a network, which, again, for the record, I, I'm super excited to be working inside of a network when I get the opportunity, whether that be... TSN, the CFL, Ticats, OUA, wherever I end up, I, I want to keep doing some of this CFB stuff because uh, I think that it has a real future and the ability to bring people into the conversation that haven't been a part of it previously. Definitely. And, and you know, speaking, speaking for myself in Dakota, like we love everything that you're doing with CFP. Um, last thing I want to ask you. you about, um, as Dakota and I were sitting uh, in London watching your alma mater win the Yates Cup to close out the 2010s, it occurred to me that despite the perhaps obvious answer, that your Marauders have a decent case against Dakota's Western Mustangs as team of the decade. And we look at the 2010s. It's it, it 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 there is a case to be made. Do you where do you stand on that as far as if we're gonna pick a team of the decade in the OUA? Man, uh, that that makes me want to do a deep dive on that because that's <laughs> I have never I've never thought of that before. But really, if you think about like obviously we had the Vanier in eleven, we lost in twelve and fourteen. Uh, I'm not sure the number of Yates Cup championships, but I do know that. 
Uh, we never lost a Yates Cup at home, and Western's done that several times, whether it be Guelph or McMaster. It's <clears> because all the Yates Cups are at home at Western. You guys aren't. Oh, <laughs> 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 well, it's fine. If you never have to play Guelph in the regular season, it's pretty easy to be able to run the table and get home field. But uh, I would also say that I, I'm looking around at um, you know the, the Vanier teams, and man, uh, I, <laughs> I love the idea of, Western's Vanier team playing Max Vanier team, like kind of doing because you think it's Merchant against, yeah, it's Merchant against Quinlan, it's uh, you know Jordan Bull you and uh, against Mike Daly, it's uh, I'm trying to think who was the uh, Fraser Sopic uh, against Nick Shortle, it's uh, I mean there's there's names that are escaping me right now. Dylan Giffen, Ben Aguilar on the line. Yeah, oh yeah, like gosh. all of that stuff in terms of positional matchups. It's just there's so much talent on those two teams. So that, that's a great debate, honestly. That really, really is. I'm jealous that you guys thought of that. I should have <laughs> uh, in in 2019 to end off 2020. I probably should have looked back and 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 kind of had uh, a piece put together on that. But I think there's a case to be made. The consistency of Western is better than that of McMaster's, but. McMaster during that time, I think, did have one of the best stories. I think 2011 was was probably the story of the decade, if you want to call it that. I'm biased because I was on the team, but just the way the team came together, the adversity that we had to go through, and the way that we were able to finish the job. I think, uh, you know, I, I always love looking at the NBA and seeing people that are great at what they do, not just the NBA, but the NBA always kind of comes to mind on this, where dynasty, let's say, of Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors. Well, if they don't exist, who's the multi-time champion? It's probably Portland. Like CJ McCollum and, and Damian Lillard. I always think of that from the 90s. I'm like, if MJ doesn't exist, if he's not there, who's running table in the 90s? It's like, well, it's probably the Jazz. Maybe like Seattle, maybe with Gary Payton and Sean Kemp in the early state. Maybe Houston goes on a run. So for me, I just think if, if Quinlan wasn't around, Will Finch is probably a multi-time Vanier Cup appearance slash uh, winner at that point. And I got great love for Will. I talked to him still once in a while, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's been just so many damn good players that have come through. And I think that's why 2019 in all honesty was so special is that sure. It was the most recent game between the two, but every time Mac and Western come together, there's these memories that come out of, right. Whether it's uh, Varga being able to just steamroll us in McMaster in, in week two of 2011, or if it's, uh, the way that Donnie Marshall just battled uphill against our great defense with Greg Knox and all those studs that we had on the defensive side, or if it's the more recent history of um, you know having Chris Merchant just absolutely being unstoppable at various points and using his legs in a way that Masters' defense is, even though they had great talent, they couldn't work around. So uh, I, I, you know, the, I mentioned earlier the Marshall Thundering Herd connection that we had on TSN, and they have something called the Moonshine Throwdown in west virginia that is the western kentucky hilltoppers playing against uh marshall university and uh, i actually had the guy on from the moonshine throwdown podcast on our radio show on tsn in hamilton and he said to me is there anything that even remotely feels like the moonshine throwdown does to us and i said yeah mac western because to me that's and it's no slight to well for to anybody else you know laurie is a great program as well and queens and ottawa carlton all the rest but for people that have been around Mac or have been around Western, it, that feels a lot of the time like that's the game. And he said, do you guys have a name for it? And I was like, no. He said, well, we have the Moonshine Throwdown. And why don't you do, you know, what's popular up there? I go, I don't know. We like our strong beers. He goes, perfect. Do, uh, you know, the IPA Showdown. You know, you can do the Moonshine Throwdown. We'll do the IPA Showdown and we'll see how it 
it all turns out. But I think that that's uh, that's the one that comes to mind for me. That that I again, I want to see you back on the field again. I think there's still there's so much talent on all those rosters, and the coaching staffs are intact. As I started off talking about continuity, so. Uh, I just I want to get back to playing football, and uh, I, we can only do doing this for so long, unfortunately. Well, we all want football back, and uh, you know, just that ending on that note got me so excited that if oh, man, I don't know where to put this energy if we don't get our football back this year. Because <laughs> you're right, the OUA is in a great spot, and we need the CFL for everything else to flow in Canadian football at all levels. So yeah. let's hope that uh, let's hope we get that back. Uh, Marshall, thank you so much for joining us today. All the best moving forward with CFP and everything else you have going on in your broadcasting adventures. Zach, Dakota, thank you guys. I appreciate it. I'll uh, I'll make sure to keep in touch and we'll talk again for too long, okay? Sounds good. Take care.